1799, Mtonjaneni, Zululand. A young boy, tall for his age, otherwise unremarkable, aggressively fights for his place. His place in a tribe, his place in a future kingdom, and his place in history. He and his mother have never felt that they belonged. They've been on the run, cast out, left to their own devices and treated like strangers by their own families. But he will have his revenge. He will start an empire. Shaka Kazezangakona is going to change the world. I'm a real history nerd. I read history books all the time. I watch period pieces and dramas. I love imagining going back in time. In fact, that's what my dreams are made of. And it's very rare to find someone who has the same bizarre obsession. And I found such a person in Anthony Medera, who is the CEO of Taylor Blinds. We decided in 2018 we were going to get together the following year, and we were going to put together a series of history podcasts on the lesser-known side of the people that you might have heard of, the great characters of history. That is what these podcasts are all about. We're focusing on a local, what would you call him, a titan, Shaga Zulu, as many European sources quote him, Shaga Kazezangakona, Sezangakona was his father. He was the founder of the Zulu Empire and a person who's had such a long-lasting influence in South African history that to this day, the language is known as Zulu, the place is known as KwaZulu-Natal, and his near relative, King Goodwill's Relatini, still sits on the throne. Yeah, it's an incredible story. I don't know how much uh, anybody really has studied Shaka, but we studied him in primary school because I went to primary school in Natal, and it was a very, I thought, fascinating part of, of the history that we got to study because we didn't we didn't really pay much attention to local history and when we did it was the Fuhr trackers or it was Jan van Riebeek and I thought that Shaka was fascinating because we went off to this place in primary school called Pezulu which was this village that they'd built to show what a homestead would have looked like at the time of Shaka and they had weapons that were forged during the time of Shaka and they had displays there and people in traditional dress. And I just found this fascinating as a child. So I started reading about him. And he's absolutely, indisputably one of the most interesting people in South African history. I mean, he's pretty crazy. And he did some things which I think a lot of people would regard as being fairly brutal. But then history is brutal. Correct. So what drew me to Chaka was I also spent quite a bit of time in Natal. Actually, I did the shark nets way back. And I know those rivers so well. So when you talk about it, when you read the stories about the the Tequila and some of the the stories that come up because you love to travel, we look at Mpangeni. So Mpangeni is, is a significant town in Natal now, but the name, so Panga means to grab, and that came from the crocodiles grabbing the people. So, I mean, that who knew? Wow. And uh, at the same time as well, he named a Mamsentoti, yeah. so sweet or tasty sweet water. water. Yeah, so those type of things – I suppose because we used South Africa and we grew up there. So that's big attraction for us. Well, it's living history. And Shaka's empire was centered in a, his capital was Bulawayo, which was eventually chosen as the name for a, a city in what was Rhodesia and became Zimbabwe. And, and it's quite interesting that 
the, the Zulu influence on South Africa is so profound that it is considered our largest indigenous language group. But the Zulus weren't always the most powerful tribe in the area. In fact, the Zulus were an inferior tribe of the Mtetwas. The Mtetwas are the most powerful family in KwaZulu-Natal for a very long time. And Shaka's father, Sezangakona, was a vassal of the Mtetwa clan. But there was uh, a lot of stuff in, in his history which is worth remarking on. He was born illegitimate. His mother, Nandi, had a profound influence on him. And we'll get to what he started doing when she died. When he lost her, his whole world fell apart. She was an extremely strong character yeah. to such an extent that um, his father kicked her out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have a history of strong women yeah. and, and women who are rebellious. Um, He's credited with with a number of, of military innovations, which we'll also talk about in a second. But he also forged alliances and absorbed tribes and exerted diplomatic pressure. He conducted a few strategic assassinations here and there where they needed to be done. And his reign very controversially coincided with the start of what they call the Mfekane, which of course is the upheaval that led to huge depopulation in various parts of KZN from about 1815 to about 1840. So the Zulus, uh, eventually a small tribe, the Zulus, managed to take advantage of the defeat of the Mtetwas and the power vac vacuum that that created. And Shaka was by then old enough to himself be uh, cunning enough, smart enough, streetwise enough to take control of that power vacuum and fill it with his own influence. And this is why we talk about the great people of history and why he's certainly among them. He had an enemy early on in the beginning, a guy called Zwide. And Zwide was the chief of the Ndwandwes. And Shaka had such a problem with this guy that he chased him down, um, defeated him in two separate battles. And when he found his mother, Zwide's mother, he, first of all, she was a Sangoma. They they referred to her in, in Zulu history as, as an umtagati, an evil sangoma. Um, when they found her, they locked her in her house, and they put hyenas and jackals in the house with her, closed her up in there. When the jackals and hyenas had killed her, they burnt the house to the ground. Mm. So vengeful was Shaka after Zwide had, had thwarted him twice in battle. So he was not incapable of cruelty, mm. and that was just yeah. the beginning. Of his cruelty. But if we look as well, when you refer to the breaking up that specific period hmm. in history in, in southeastern Africa, it can't necessarily all be laid on Shaka because the big part was the lack of, of grazing. Hmm. So there were a lot of tribes and the actual grazing grounds was very, very important for them. And to such an extent that prior to this, they would have almost ceremonial battles. So the king he would sit under a tree and drink beer, and the two tribes would fight, and they would throw the assegais, and then when it landed, the other tribe would throw it back. And then when the, maybe the one tribe got tired or felt a little bit overpowered, they would turn around and retreat. And as long as they dropped the assegais, then they would be spared. Hmm. That was how they settled disputes or land as required for their cattle. Amazing. But what happened was – Especially with Ding Swayo, him and his mother joined um, later on, it became more important and more aggressive because of the necessity and the lack of land. Mm. So it became more and more important. And then that's where he also came to the fore because he was a very, he was a thinking man as well in that 
when he saw the way they were fighting, he just said, this is stupid. You know, throwing an assegai, you know, that's that's a very, very ineffectual way. And that's where he would use the assegai in the beginning to stab. Yeah. And then and late, he shortened it. He turned it into something yeah, that they called the ikla. Correct. But during battles, he started developing the shorter one. And that just transformed, if you can imagine, how it just suddenly transformed. These guys were tossing these <laughs> these spears and harmlessly falling. Mm-hmm. Next minute, you get this this army that's rushing at you and stabbing you. That was unheard of. He also developed um, much bigger shields, and the color of the hide on your shield was your division. So he organized an army. He developed the bullhorn formation, um, which, of course, was – I mean, various historians have given him credit for that, where you would have the, the majority of your infantry in the middle, and then you'd have two wings that would spread around the enemy on the outside. And encircle them effectively, and then you could go in with your spears, stab them, crush them, kill them, and then take their land, which, as you've detailed already, would then be used for grazing. Mm. But Alexander the Great, I read, also used to use outside. Like a pincer movement. Yeah, and, and so I think there's a debate about it, but if you think about the amount of access he had, he had almost zero access to historical battles. Mm-hmm. So. Do we assume that he, he developed this all on his own? Yeah. So the sword mm-hmm. and this buffalo horn movement was developed completely. That's incredible. That's but it just shows you incredible. how great military tactics can develop in two separate places without the two having any communication. Mm. And it takes a great leader to make it happen. So he was also the first guy really to encounter the Europeans in that part of, of South Africa. And he was also the first person to grant permission to the Europeans to enter Zulu territory. In fact, um, Henry Francis Finn was one of the people who had access to Shaka and treated him medically when he had an assassination attempt on his life. And Henry Francis Finn was also the guy who established communications for the first time between the Zulu and the, the, the white people who'd settled in Port Natal, which Shaka had given them as a gift. He'd said, yes, you can settle in Port Natal. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have a Durban. Sure. Which I think is quite interesting. That is, that is incredible, yeah. Yeah. He was, of course, murdered himself in, in 1828 by his brothers, uh, Dingan and Nhlangana. But we'll talk about that in a second. I want to talk first about Nandi, who you've already mentioned was such a strong woman. And she was very influential and she advised him throughout his, his uh, reign. And then she died in, I think, 1827, a year before him. And that was really the end for him. He was devastated. He ordered that for a year, people were to be in mourning. All they would do all year if he was in the area was cry. They were not allowed to plant crops. They were not allowed to drink milk, which was the main staple diet at that point. If you became pregnant, you were killed, your child was killed, and your husband was killed. Wow. They say 7,000 people were executed just for not being mournful enough. During that time, and some of them in the most brutal ways, being impaled on sticks, um, you know, kind of in a sitting position. You imagine how awkward and awful and uncomfortable mm. and painful and oh. terrible that would be. And cows were slaughtered just at random so that their calves would know how it felt to not have a mother because Shaka was so devastated to not have his mother. I mean, this is uh, a psychologist's dream. In terms of trying to figure out a sort of an Oedipus complex. Just referring to Nandi, and I think that's what drove him his whole life, was 
excommunicated or just cast aside out of tribe after tribe after tribe, finally settling to Dingzweo's tribe and then being ridiculed by everybody. His name, the shocker, it was a certain, not disease, but an illness that you get in your stomach. What happened was his father said that, that Nandi had this condition and that's why she looked pregnant. And he told her clan, the Lenganis, this is what happened. The elder said, look, you take yourself and your shaka back to your tribe. So that's, so that's where his name comes from. That's where his name comes from. It was very, very hard for him. And I think that if you look at when he started to, to overcome tribes, he started to build the Zulu nation. He still remembered all those people that had wronged him and his mom. Mm-hmm. And he destroyed them. So he was driven constantly by that. I think that his savior, I suppose, was that physically he was an incredible, he was over six foot three. Mm-hmm. Rock hard muscle and yeah. an incredible fighter. And I think that, that when he started getting into his teens, that ridicule stopped and that bullying stopped because he was such a powerful guy. Nobody wanted to fight him. They used to have the play fights with their wooden sticks and he was very aggressive in those fights. Well, he, he was, um, described by his enemies in much less flattering terms, but you've got to take that with a pinch of salt because they were his enemies. So I'm going to quote from something that Finn wrote down. Shaka's enemies described him as ugly in some respects. He had a big nose, according to Balega of the Kwabe, as told by her father. He also had two prominent front teeth. Her father also told Balega that Shaka spoke as though his tongue was too big for his mouth. So a lot of people said that he had a speech impediment. There is an anecdote that Shaka joked with one of his friends, Magai, that he could not kill him because he would be laughed at. Supposedly, if he killed Magai, it would appear to be out of jealousy because Magai was so handsome and Shaka himself was ugly with a protruding forehead. But this is obviously what his enemies used Mm. to say. His friends and those who knew better would shut up and say nice things. Exactly. (laughs) Shaka was murdered, stabbed in his capital by his two brothers, half-brothers, in fact, and Dingan went on to be king after him, but his body was dumped in a grain pit, and they're not exactly sure where he was buried either. But in, in Stanga, there is a monument to him on what's purported to be his grave. A historian called David Morris is somewhat less convinced and reckons that Shaka's body is actually buried under Cooper Street in Stanga. So we're never really going to know where the, the body of the first Zulu emperor hmm. lies. But as we said, his influence continues to the present day. King Shaka Airport, Ushaka yes. Marine World, yes. loads of other places that are named in his honor. And also Dingan, I don't know if it's, a, um, if it's true or not, but it was mentioned that Shaka said to him, the swallows are going to finally get you, something to that effect. And so Dingan had this constant fear and hatred of, of the swallows, which were the whites. So the swallows, because of the way they made their hats, it was oh. different. So that was what led Dingan. And there was a famous battle in San Luana. That's right, yeah. The famous Zulu victory over the over the British, which was quite important. But that British. was after Dingan, and and Dingan himself had huge trouble with the four trackers and with with the whites important, the English whites important to tell. So maybe Shaka's prophecy came true. Yeah, true. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. This is cliffcentral.com.